Hey guys, welcome to the Ask a Creator Economist podcast. I'm Ron Jaradot. I'm joined here by Thomas Euler and Jonas hey. Rubel. Hey there. Hey guys. So this podcast this is episode one of this podcast, and I'm just going to break down what the format is, explain kind of how it's come, come about, and give you guys a, a quick little introduction. So the three of us do work at Liquidity Team, um, which is the umbrella company that creates the Unify platform. Um, this podcast kind of spawned from that as we saw like a hole in and in, in, in the necessity to kind of answer some of the key questions that we've been seeing a lot of creators ask, uh, whether it's creators that build using Unify or whether it's creators that we see on Twitter, on, on online, via blogs. Um, and this is our way to kind of uh, compartmentalize a lot of those questions and, and, and gather some of those insights and deliver it to you guys in like a very condensed and insightful way and, and provide you guys an opportunity to ask us questions. So that is the essential format of this podcast. You ask us questions and we give you answers as pseudo creator economists, kind of a, a concept that we've created, me and Thomas together. And on that note, I'll pass it to you guys to just, just give a little bit more of an introduction about yourselves. Thomas, why don't you go ahead? Sure. So yeah, really, really happy to starting starting this particular format. If you've never uh, met me before, so I myself consider myself as a creator, even though not in like one of these super super uh, uh, big audience topics. But I've been publishing and writing on the web basically since I was fourteen on on various issues, but mostly in my in my later professional life around all things digital digitization, but with a strong focus also on uh, yeah what nowadays you call the creator economy. And therefore, I'm super happy to bring this back. I mean, we started this company that you that you mentioned and built with Unify, a solution that is really there to help and empower creators. And it's a topic that is really near and dear to me. But it's also like a lonely craft, isn't it? Like most creators, they do it from, from their home. Of course, if you are bigger, then you have managers or agents. And yes, you can connect online with other creators. And that is what many of you out there do. But still, it is, it is not like the, the profession where you are in an office most of the time and you have co-workers you can you can ask and like a manager or so you can spare ideas with no it's really it's really different so we thought like this podcast format could really be something that is useful to you out there we also plan by the way to bring on guests who might be creators themselves who might be agents who might have other roles in the creator economy to answer your questions as well so look forward to to this particular thing and I guess, I guess that is all I have to say at this point. Well, maybe, maybe a little shout out and a little, a little uh, gift credit pay, pay dues. That's a format I know and kind of stole, I guess, from the guys from Ask a Cycling Coach podcast, which is a really good format that if you, if you are into cycling and podcasts, you probably heard about this. If not, never mind. but they uh, do this and it's really cool. And I, Took some inspiration from from them when I started to develop this with Ron and Jonas. What about what about you? What do you bring to I the guess table? We don't here? steal ideas; we just follow best practices. Um, That's exactly the yeah, case. Jonas yeah. here, uh, Jonas Rubel, as Ron already said, also one of the founders of Liquidity Team. Um, here, mostly around the product and its technical development over time. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, enough said about the podcast format, I believe. 
I think we can bring something to the table as we talk to not just creators, but also sports entities and athletes, um, not just in Germany, but also internationally um, about their goals in terms of fan engagement, in terms of how they plan to use technology to engage with their communities, to create attractive digital offerings and platforms. Um, so there's a lot of, yeah, I think a lot of info that we have that we can share. And um, yeah, looking forward to to some of the questions that we will receive from you in the future and uh, discussing those that we have received already. Yeah, just to kind of put the cherry on the top of that, um, you know, we work with some some pretty cool clients um, in in both the sports industry as well as just like personal brand. And um, we've kind of seen some really cool and interesting implementations of like audience building, community building, branding. So. That's kind of like the, just to echo what Jonah said, just gives us a little bit of credibility or, you know, give you guys some trust in us that we've kind of seen a lot and that we can give some insights. And on that note, we're going to open today's episode with a topic that I think is kind of like um, fleeting to a lot of companies. And it's this concept of brand and branding. And one of the first questions is kind of what opens that topic up. So I'm going to go ahead and read this question out to you guys, and then we can kind of jump in on the concept. So we have Chris from Germany. So Chris from Germany is working on a new music and DJing project. I'm just going to read from his point of view. So hi, I'm Chris from Germany. I'm working on a new DJ project. Currently, me and my partners are thinking about the brand and how we make it appealing to our audience. Our three members already have an audience on SoundCloud. Now we need to create an identity that appeals to them. Can you give us some advice on how we should proceed with developing the new brand? So Chris from Germany wants to start a music and DJing project with three of his buddies. They all already have existing uh, audiences on SoundCloud. How do they kind of develop a brand? How do they leverage themselves into a living, breathing brand? That's, as I said, it's fleeting. It's a tough concept for a lot of companies. How do you create your own brand? And I think on that note, one of the first steps is first defining what even is a brand or what is branding. And I'll throw it over to you guys first, just to kind of hear your thoughts from like a nondescript or like, you know, a non-dictionary definition point of view first. So why don't you take it away first, Thomas, and, and just, you know, what's your idea of what a brand is? I mean, it's a concept that I've that I've looked into and done some research around back in the days a lot. And the one thing, if you look at what is the origin of brand, the origin of brand is really in the Roman days, people made uh, uh, cutlery or other items and then they put their name on it. They scratched it into the material and then transported it hundreds and thousands of kilometers away and sold it. And it was like a sign of trust, right? So brand initially started as a person taking their name putting it on there as a as a sign of you can you can trust this i put my name of it and then later of course like in the mass media era branding became this concept that, that companies took away because there were no longer personal uh, relationships that you could have at this scale with corporations and so it became the coca-cola company and the brand what uh, was the first thing. But then what happened more recently with the advent of social media is that branding, we talk about personal branding a lot, right? And and brands became 
persons became brands, but actually brands were, were in my mind becoming more what they what they used to be, namely something something that that had a relationship component and a trust component around individuals, which is I guess also interesting from from for, for Chris and his DJ collective here. So so. To me, a brand, to keep it short, it's like it has to do with reputation, with trust, and it gives people something they can remember, they can they can think about easily, and that, that ma makes you catchy and stand out. And I yeah. would add to it, maybe even make it a bit more general. As soon as there's like a real story or narrative to it, That's something that makes a brand because on the one one example I was just thinking about is Apple, obviously a brand, obviously a large company, but at the same time, the iPhone is just as much of a brand by now in and of itself because the iPhone stands for so much more. It stands for, well, it signals status on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, it, it comes with things like you think of the App Store when you think about Apple, uh, when you think of the iPhone. Um, you think about many, you, you think of nice haptics, high quality products. So basically one of their products, they basically created a brand from it. And you could even argue that uh, maybe the iPod was the first big brand within the Apple ecosystem, like a sub brand. Um, Thomas, you're laughing. What you're laughing about? No, 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 I'm not, I'm not laughing about something. It Just when I hear Apple and then I think about, I guess a lot of people would say, hey, Apple has lost its edge as a brand and has lost something once Steve Jobs has died. Because Steve Jobs and the Apple brand, they have been quite intertwined and Steve Jobs was really, really important for this brand. And yes, now it's still Apple and it's still big, but it's it's now more corporate. It's more now more normal in my perception and i guess i'm not a alone in this and uh, yeah a faceless brand and i think that is something that is that is much harder to manage and probably maybe even doomed not apple specifically but but I, i i guess like this personal relationship as long as you can have this within brands it is really something that the brand can benefit from maybe also that's why the switch to making products the brands Jonas, I think that's a super good point. It's kind of like a product product driven branding with Apple. I mean, what was Apple before the iPhone? You know, I mean, the the iPod Nano and those things were, were cool. Those were cool consumer you know gadgets, cool consumer products. But they didn't quite have that allure yet. Where like, if you didn't have that, you know, you're lame. Because back then, I don't know if you remember like the Motorola Razor. Where did I do? And like the like. Yeah, like if you had one, if you didn't have one of those, like get the fuck out. Like you're not in our group. And uh, yeah, like the iPod Nano came, like that became the thing for MP3 players. Like if you didn't have, you know, an iPod, you're not in, in the club. And then they kind of monopolized like the entire like phone and MP3 player market. And they kind of used that to, to propel themselves. But yeah, Thomas makes a good point. Like it, you can say the same thing for Tesla. You know, like Tesla kind of is Elon Musk. Like, Or, I, mean, I don't know. Just, But yeah, yeah. just, uh, just I think the definitely. swings yeah. of share price a single tweet of that guy can have yeah. is, uh, I think, I think, enough evidence. So let's bring it back to Chris. Yeah. Let, let's bring it back to to Chris and what what his question is. So, so Ron, what do you think he can 
he he can take from from our points here and how should he go about this yeah so so from like a prescription point of view or from like a, a dictionary definition point of view i wanted to start by first defining branding from like a to try to make it as procedural as possible for him for for our guy chris and um i want to start with a quote and this is a quote from jeff bezos he basically says that your personal brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. So I thought that was a, a pretty interesting take on brand. Um, and I, I don't want to make make this boring. I don't want to bore you guys. But I first want to just like break, break down like the, the fundamentals of what a brand is. It's a combination of visuals, tone, what what customers say about you and your your content like your actual presence online so it's like it's, it's like a four category type of thing and the importance of brand i think is like again as i said something that's fleeting something that a lot of companies struggle with i mean we think about things like nike like apple like tesla these are like the obvious brands right these are as thomas mentioned like people driven brands and without the people the the brand starts to fade away. Now there are some other companies who have done some fantastic who have done a fantastic job at creating a brand without like a person at the helm. So this is like like product driven brand or content driven brand. And you know, m moving along, we have we have examples like Wendy's. I don't know if you guys know Wendy's. Their Twitter, their Twitter. I mean, Wendy's doesn't even exist in Europe, I think. But it's basically a fast food restaurant. They kind of were one of the first companies to start this, like, for lack of a better term, shit posting strategy on Twitter. Um, their strategy was essentially to talk shit, like joke with people who are tweeting at them to kind of be trolly online. So that represents like one pillar of brand, which is like tone. So, so nothing about Wendy's really changed. They didn't start doing, you know, SEO content or blog content. They, they didn't become an expert in one particular vertical within fast food. They just built a brand through Tone, and it's faceless. It's a faceless Wendy's account. You don't know who's working behind the scenes. So that's one version. Um, but essentially, brand, as I mentioned, it's like this combination of developing like a value proposition to your customers. So we'll take Chris specifically. Chris wants to engage with, you know, music fans, fan people that are already a, a fan of his music. Now, what I would I would suggest doing, like off off rip, is you have three music founders or three founders within your 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 group. You guys need to establish yourselves as like a trio. Establish yourselves as the face of this company. Like your your users or your customers, your fans need to associate this new enterprise that you guys launch with the three of you. I think that's like the the best place to start. Thomas, did you have something on that? No, I I fully agree. I think like especially in in yeah th this new digital creator economy, the most successful brands really leverage that persons can scale because the the way I I like to put it is people are interested in people first and foremost, and brands are just an abstraction of this, which can work. But if you have the people, you will, you will see many digital brands, like the founder Twitter account has more followers than the, than the brand itself. And I think this could, this could happen here uh, as well easily. So, so 
I think definitely use this. Use yourselves and make yourselves a core part of the brand. That doesn't mean you don't need a cool name and you don't need a cool logo and, and all that corporate identity or, or DJing collective identity thing. I mean, it's a shame that he, Chris doesn't give a bit more information on what music genre he's in. Probably it's very different between a classical music DJ. I don't know if that exists or like a funk music and the EDM music and like a hard style uh, a DJ. Probably the identity, the visual thing will be quite different and the tone will be very different. But but still, relationship is something that people in music, music bands crave. That is one yeah. of the things why, why you go to parties, right? It's about relationships. It's about th this collective feeling. And I, I guess that is something you can you can really put put into your brand but also don't don't probably overthink the logo part and the naming part of it but think more about like how can you be a how can you become a hub for for your community and have this as an integral part of your brand well i think i think the, the perfect example or the perfect like parallel that i can draw is dylan francis he's a super popular you know edm dj and he's been able to build a pretty extensive brand and a very popular brand by kind of being this jokester online. So he would, he would do a lot of content about Dylan Francis and he'd post just a lot of like funny stuff, funny videos. So he's been able to kind of solidify himself as like a top DJ. Now you can argue is his, his music is also really, really great. Don't get me wrong. So the product that he creates is great, but he's solidified himself himself as a mainstay in the EDM arena at least, you know, the mainstream EDM arena by creating this very, like, very particular brand online. So he is like the face of the Dylan Francis brand. And it echoes what, what you say, Thomas, like the, the number one thing is making yourself present. People want to get to know you and get to know the people behind the music, I think. And, and, and then yeah. I, I guess the second thing that is, that is quite interesting here in the in the music context, because you mentioned product. I mean, in the end, what you what you need for brand is something that differentiates you, that is distinct, your your USP, if you will. And in music, what what can this mean? I think you can. Yeah, there are several ways you can go about it. You can have a very distinct musical selection, for instance, in your sets, play stuff that people love, but also play stuff that surprises them, that takes them into different areas. And that can be what sets you apart. But maybe it's even what sets you apart, something that is not in, in the kind of music you play or how you play them, but maybe it's how you interact with your community. Maybe maybe what sets you apart is the dancing routine because you bring a bunch of dancers to your, to your party who, who set them apart. But to have a shtick, to have something that stands out from from all the other people that should be something that that is also part of I mean, branding i remember no uh, go ahead one Jones. great example i could think of that basically defines a a music brand um i guess most people are familiar with boiler room um and just the way the sets are recorded like the video is recorded is very distinctive it's always like a center shot of the dj with the crowd in the background It's set up the other way around as you would usually have a DJ. Usually he would face the crowd. There the crowd is in his back. And if you see a video of a, boil, yeah, a boiler room video, you instantly recognize uh, the style and you know yeah. what brand produced this, even though the music can be vastly different and the locations vary across cities um, and events. 
So that is one great example for like a, a characteristic that um, gives you a lot of freedom in the content that you produce, but still makes it very recognizable. Probably not the best idea to simply steal that, but maybe there's something similar that you can find, basically a yeah, signature move. So the actual yeah. delivery, the actual product itself is differentiated. That's, yeah, I think that's yeah. an interesting point. I, I mean, other examples that, that come to mind, like there is there is this guy called Falk Schacht. He is one of the most well-known German hip-hop journalists and authors, but he also is a, is a DJ. But I think the, the reason that he has worked as a DJ and does thing has a lot to do with his work in the media. It's similar like in, in reggae, there is a famous guy called David Rodigan. He is like by now, I, I guess, approaching 70, famous BBC host of a, a reggae dancehall show, still playing the biggest reggae festivals as a selector. And he has a style that is totally unique in how he presents the music as a radio uh, DJ turned selector slash sound system. That's all uh, uh, talk of this genre. Never mind. But but it's the media work that sets him apart. And then I remember other parties that I used to go where they had really distinct stage shows, right? The, somebody like Seed or Cyan Super Crew. Of course, they had good music, but they also had stage performances. Now we are live performance, uh, live acts and not DJs, but but the performance around this really uh, captivated the crowd and was also like this good live presence was turned into part of your brand. And that goes back to the quote that you mentioned. It's what people said when they were not in the room. They said, you need to go to this concert or to this show because that is really something that sets you apart. Yeah. And uh, yeah, then it doesn't hurt to have a catchy, to have a catchy name and one that maybe plays with the stuff that is well-known in your genre, right? Yeah, I mean, another another uh, iteration or another, like, manifestation of, like, visual branding would be just something as simple as, like, a logo, right? So your logo is kind of your brand. Um, and in, like, the music and DJing arena, maybe not as much, but what I would kind of bring into this realm is think of someone like Marshmello, the DJ, Well, like what, what a differentiated, what a crazy different type of visual branding that he implemented. Do you guys know him? He's a CJ who has like this huge white helmet that looks like a marshmallow. No. Nope. Anyway, he became extremely, I mean, his music was good. Uh, I'm sure there are some DJs somewhere who make, can make better music. But the thing is that he had this super eye catching element to, to his entire identity where you didn't even know what this dude looked like because he would wear this giant white helmet. Right, this marshmallow helmet. So yeah. that's like just just another example of like visual branding. Like, how do you actually like make it so that your product, whatever you're selling, is like visually stimulating and differentiated? And I think that's a great and one. Maybe one thing where I also don't have a great example um, would be using a. Since we're talking about a music project, maybe not just a visual component like a logo, but also an audio component like a jingle. Many brands have perfectionalized a jingle where within one or two seconds you know exactly which brand this is from a great german example i yeah. could think of right now is t-mobile that have like a very distinct jingle of i think it's just three chords maybe this is something that you could also um add or implement in your social media game and strategy that, i mean yeah even even deeper than that jonas is when i think of somebody like martin garrix 
again, I, I'm trying to use as mainstream of people as possible. Um, if you hear a Martin Garrix song, you know within the first like five seconds that this is a Martin Garrix song. So it's not just in his his intros or his as as you say his jingle or his logo, but like literally his entire product sounds very like specific. You know, if you do know Martin Garrix, so I, I think in terms of, of visual identity, I think that's a good one. But moving along now, kind of getting a little more into the like ethereal of brand, kind of like your your background, your um, and and, and just j- just to give it to you guys, it's creating a story, right? So it's like your why. And I know this is kind of cliche, kind of cringe sometimes. Where like, you know, people say, "Oh, you need to have a, a why." Like, why are you doing the thing you do? Like you might just love music, you know, you might just want that, that dumb, you know, lower back tattoo. You might not have a why for the things that you do, but I think creating something that people can, can uh, relate to and something that people can kind of like, remember, like, damn, this is the reason this person or these three guys, you know, have grouped together to create this, this enterprise, you know, this brand. So whatever your why is, whatever your story is, I think keeping that prominent and, you know, um, verbalizing that or, or telling that story to your fans is like a great way to get that relatability. I, I couldn't agree more. And, yeah. and I do have a follow-up question because I think there is an aspect we didn't yet talk about so, so much. And maybe Ron or Jonas, you have some thoughts on this because Chris also mentions that all three already have like a following on, on SoundCloud and, so we we have no info, but I would assume that they stay within the genre that they are already known for and don't completely switch and do a 180. And if that is true, like how what could you recommend as a strategy to to get these audiences to to follow the new project? Well, I mean, as simple as as letting them know on their individual accounts. Now, I don't know how SoundCloud is today, right? So. I assume if they have followers on SoundCloud, they also distribute their music on other social platforms, maybe something with slightly better direct-to-consumer messaging. So whatever platform that is, maybe it's Twitter, maybe it's YouTube, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a website, I would recommend that you utilize that, like what's, whatever the best communication stream is with your user, utilize that communication stream and start to broadcast, start to hype up this new project. And more importantly, and crucially to this, start to cross promote the other people that you're going to be collaborating with. This could be as simple as the three of you creating one song and each of you publish it on each on your own SoundCloud with uh, a link to the other artist, right? Or to the other two artists. So you start to kind of like tease out and start to slowly integrate this collaboration, maybe release a video of you guys um, working on the track together, kind of like the behind the scenes making the track so like you kind of want to like craft this like genesis story of the three of you and whether you can do that through like a vlog through visuals through social media posts a podcast you know whatever that medium is you got you kind of have to create this genesis that'd be like my my initial like first thoughts Makes a lot of sense. Jonas, you have something to, to add here? Yeah, I mean, specifically on SoundCloud, most people use it without using the UI so too much. Like you would have a you would have a playlist, uh, your set or song is somewhere within, so it's kind of hard to, I don't know, the description will probably not give you too much, even though you should still use it. 
Um, and you probably also don't want to do a little like vocal announcement towards the end because that's also distracting and some people might kick it out of their playlist for that. So yeah, so SoundCloud is a bit tricky and also I'm not uh, the biggest SoundCloud user. So here I'm a bit of, yeah, I've, I'm blanking here. Yeah. No, 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 it's been quite some time there. I mean, there is like this entire reposting culture. So, so of course you can repost everything from the new projects account on, on your accounts. And I, I also thought is that maybe it disturbs people, Jonas, but still the, the idea of having some, some announcements, some sound branding, maybe throw it together. No, if you like in rap, or, or in dancehall, many DJs have like their their name in spoken, like or producers have it, right? This is the XYZ production, XYZ mixtape. So have a catchy element that is part of your sound, but also put it when you repost it so that all your fans on your current channels uh, get to accustomed to the new brand, hear the shout outs. Maybe you even do like a brief uh, uh, a 30 second track where you talk in to your to your audience and you tell them hey look this is the new thing come follow this account where we uh, uh, where we do our new shit thank you so much because like you say many people don't look at the ui of the track but they are listening to it but if you talk to them di directly it will definitely take them by surprise it's not what they are used to and then they could could do this um let's probably end unless you have other points uh, that you wanted to touch upon on a on a conceptual level more on a few practical tips for for Chris and his crew because I believe most people who are starting a, a DJ collective probably don't have huge budgets to invest into especially the design part of branding so all the other stuff we talked about is probably something creative is enough but not everybody is a designer so if you have cool context to designers and many people in the music world do so then you're taken care of perfect if not what else can you do if you want to do it really from the from the ground up so so one thing I would throw in there or three tools I would throw in there uh, th there are now several AI logo creators that you that you can use. I don't want to single out any specifically because I haven't uh, played with all of them, but this, this, they can get do, do really okay jobs. Then uh, and another AI tool, maybe Jonas, you have some thoughts on that one, how you could use it in this context is Midjourney. Midjourney creates visuals based on prompts. Um, all works within yeah, Discord. No, no and then there is a Figma. logo. Uh, yeah, logo AI tool, the the general generative generative image uh, things, stable diffusion, mid journey to name two, um, should serve you well. And I've recently come across one that spits out something that you can import into Figma and can then edit. Unfortunately, I don't have the name at hand, but maybe if I uh, find it uh, quickly afterwards, we can put it in the show notes. I mean, I literally created the uh, the art for this podcast using Midjourney, so just made a couple of tweaks. Used Canva, which if you have Figma, use Figma. Whatever you have, whatever like you know basic uh, design. And tool you make have. sure if you use yeah. Midjourney to get the the basic subscription because uh, that includes commercial rights. Otherwise, commercial rights are not covered. Yeah. Very good point. Yep. So, anything else we have to say to Chris and Co? No, I just think from like a from like a logo point of view, you guys are each three individual brands at the moment. Um, and you know, if you don't want to spend a lot of money creating creating new design elements, it could be something as simple as like the three of you take your existing logos and you wash over like an orange, 
hue over it or, or, or an orange background where it's kind of hinting like, hey, there's a collab going on soon or something. You add some visual element to your already existing logo that hints at a future collaboration. That's like a really cheap way. And then when you actually do launch your own little collective, that's when you do some of the things that we're saying, you know. Also yeah. make sure to drop us our uh, SoundCloud links, guys, next time. Yeah. <laughs> you send yeah. us a message. Do this. this. Could be folk music. No, could for be sure. Folk music could be a uh, poetry, slam poetry. Cool. So, so probably the right time now that we got through Chris' question to tell the people if you have a question that you would like us to to answer to discuss on here, how you can do it. We actually set up a landing page. It's on unify.io/slash ask a creator economist and there you can just ask your questions submit them and then we will try to answer as many of your questions as possible um for for now the early ones we you have a higher chance of getting answered and hopefully in the future uh, we will have to be a bit more selective but for now keep them keep them coming and we are looking forward to hearing from all of you out there yeah thanks for that you can also do unify.io/podcast That'll also work. Um, and on that note, let's hop over now to the next question. Um, and it's looks like there's no name attached, but here's the question. Hi, I heard that you'd be starting the new podcast. Curious to see how it'll go. Here's my question for you. Is there a future, is there a future for social tokens or creator tokens, as you guys call them? To me, it pretty much feels as if now everything is about NFTs. And I don't know any social token project that really took off. Even now, now even Rally, the poster child of the field, has failed. That's an interesting, interesting question. Um, just to give a little bit of quick background, um, Rally is a company that kind of works in in a similar space as us, slightly different. Um, but they essentially work with creators and influencers. They let them launch their own creator token. Um, fans can then purchase this token and share in some of the success or failure of those creators. So it's kind of like a crowdfunding, crowdsourcing type of project. Um, very much funded, very much popular uh, company out of, I believe, San Francisco. And they recently went bankrupt. They recently failed because of the, I imagine the costs, the uh, bear market, all of those things were too much pressure for them to, to handle. And it seems they failed. So Essentially, this this question is bringing up the idea of social tokens and I guess the potential angst that a lot of people have around NFTs and tokens. And uh, yeah, is there a future in social tokens or creator tokens as we call them? I'm going to let Jonas answer this first as Jonas is our, our lead product man and the lead blockchain guy that we have Still, here. Still, I don't have a crystal ball, <clears throat> but, but here's my shot at it. I think... Um, Creator tokens are certainly not that per se, but um, I think it has shown that a tradable token that has some monetary value to it is not really, or is something that works in very limited different contexts. And uh, just a few, maybe big brands are the ones that can leverage this best. And here I keep thinking, that a mechanism that is most closely to something to a loyalty system still works for some larger brands, can be personal brands, can be can be umbrella brands, um, in the sense that in the end you want to reward loyal fans 
or you want to have a way to to know which fans are very loyal fans and it feels nice for them if they get something back in return and a creator token is something that is a very good metric for measuring engagement interaction all of this basically the support that they give you and if you in turn then basically can offer your fans something for these tokens i don't know you've collected 100 tokens you can get a signed whatever or you can get a concert ticket or you can get some access to an exclusive track that you recorded because you also have a dj project i think these are contexts where a creator token can certainly work and like a social token um but the idea that this should have a price attached and that this is a tradable asset where you want to specu speculate on fluctuating prices, I think this is something where I'm a bit bearish. Yeah, I mean, we our company kind of started with that thesis, right? Like, let's not create another crypto project, another thing where people can just throw money into and hope that, you know, they land on the moon. And I think what a social token does is it provides a gamified way for fans to show appreciation to you and to each other. Right. And it, it feels a little more gamified. Now you can you can essentially enable Stripe and say, hey, people can send a dollar to each other. Then now now you introduce fees. And now you introduce kind of like, okay, I'm now paying money. This doesn't feel like a social experience. This feels like I'm it's just a transaction. So what tokens do does is it, it kind of like gamifies the entire experience. And you can even make the tokens, you know, not purchasable, just earnable. And I think that's what, you know, just to kind of piggyback what you said, Jonas, like the speculative nature of tokens, it makes it so that market, the, the market conditions just can fuck your entire business up, you know, and, and as we saw with a lot of these companies. So to answer, answer this person's questions, like, and I think Thomas would probably agree. I'll, I'll pass it to you right now, Thomas, really quick. Um, yeah, like make something that's a gamified experience that fans can, can, can interact with. And I think, you know, that gives fans something where it feels like it's a two-way street. It feels like it's not just, you know, them purchasing into some type of investment vehicle. No, th th that's for sure. But I would almost zoom out a, a bit or take a step back because I'm not even sure that everybody who who is in the creator economy and, and create stuff has even heard about the notion of social tokens or, or creator tokens. And that that is not too bad. And I don't think there is... a uh, answer that everybody would agree to because it's not something where we have a clear definition yet and you just saw out in this world that's called web3 where of course our company uh, comes from and is active in and several others and many several creators have had some touch point with it mostly around nfts others also about bitcoin and cryptocurrency and so on but but many not at all so so what is a social token or what we call a creator token I think in the case of Rally, their hypothesis was more like, hey, you are a creator, you can issue your own digital currency and then people buy it. And like you said, Ron, they can trade it and speculate on it. And that was the, the idea of the of the product. And then with these, you can also get maybe some something from the artist, from the creator that you supported. And if you ever visited the website now sadly they are they are gone but i always said one one criticism of their approach 
and that was it felt super crypto e and speculative like like you visited the website and there was the picture and the name of a creator and then how much usd his coin was now and how much it traded and i don't know that fans of most creators want this i mean if you're specifically like into trading and investing and also a bit into art and into web3 it's probably cool but But I always assumed that that is not something that will catch the majority of music fans if we stay with Chris from earlier or, or fans of writers and so on, because that is probably not what you want to do. And so compare it to our product, and, and let's be honest, of course, we have a biased opinion here, but but it, our hypothesis is very different. It's like what you said, Ron, right? Have tokens as a mechanism in your community and tokens that can be earned. Yes, you can also sell them a bit like an in-game currency, which many people nowadays do, right? They spend on digital currency in, in games and other environments where they want to do stuff, but just to do stuff in this environment. And if you build what I would classify as your, your creator-verse, right? The digital experience throughout the stuff that you do. Like going back to, to Chris once again from the former question, like, If they are DJs, then probably they, they have a place where they interact with their community. Probably they release mixtapes in a place and so and uh, do other stuff. And then in this world, they can make tokens useful and they can also say, hey, look, uh, if you listen to, to our mixtapes, if you comment on our mixtape, you earn a few tokens, but then you can use them to unlock an exclusive mix and so on and so forth. So, so I think that is our take on a creator token. And I would say... The latter, the latter part, if it is a, a tool, something that feels native, especially to a generation that grew up with games and so on, that is certainly not that. But this more, this way of of rally where you where you have to invest into artists, there might be there might be an audience for this, but I don't know that it is really something that takes off with a fan mainstream audience. Maybe a little sidetrack that is somewhat related to this topic still. Uh, I recently started using Duolingo, which is, as most of you know, an app where you can learn languages. And uh, what I didn't know when I started, but uh, I, I looked into it a bit, Duolingo is massive. They have like close to 600 million users. Uh, they have, I think, more than 2 million users that have a current streak above 365 days. So they have more than 2 million users that over the past year have used this app every single day. So the stickiness is massive. And I experienced this myself and I just came across a newsletter, I think it was yesterday or the day before, um, and it's called lennysnewsletter.com and they, there's an article by uh, Jorge Matzal, hope I pronounced this correctly, former CPO of Duolingo, and he describes in uh, great detail their uh, gamification mechanics and Uh, how they struggled with new user growth and then basically doubled down on gamification and obviously um, the points that you collect and the leaderboard that these points that you collect are based on was one of the big mechanics that drove user engagement. And this kind of ties back to a creator token that or a social token that you can collect that might give you some benefits in this ecosystem of this creator, might give you some access, shouldn't probably be too competitive because you kind of want to like unite all your fans and not really make a big competition out of who likes you most. But still like there's some there's some great insights and uh, I would recommend everybody that uh, might be interested to give this article a read. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's interesting you say that, Jonas. I think Duolingo has probably probably done the best job I've ever seen an app do at like trying to trying to maintain user retention. I have a I have I a forty crazy, day like, uh, forty two day streak now. 
I, I don't think yeah. there's barely and any app besides Twitter and my Google Calendar and Gmail where I would come close. But is there some, me- I'm trying to What's remember, it? is there a mechanism in the app where it asks you, like, how many days do you think you could stream? No, it doesn't ask you. And based on which one you select? No, oh, okay. uh, the only thing it asks you, I mean, it asks you many things, but uh, you, you can set daily goals, like how many minutes per day do you want to okay. do? But uh, that might actually be a cool idea. Like, how, how long do you think you can you can stick with us? Yeah, it's like, challenge yourself. If, if you hit the 10 days that you say you're going to hit, you get, you know, yeah. in-game points or something. I don't know. But yeah, that's super. In- but I think just to just to spontaneously linger on the concept of stickiness, because I think from like a branding point of view, stickiness is a pretty huge thing that if you could pull off well. So, so what is stickiness, right? Stickiness is like, do you have a product or do you have a, a, a brand that users feel the need to interact with on like a daily basis or as often as possible, right? So let's say you're a musician. Let's say you're the Arctic Monkeys. Let's say you're the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You release an album once a year. You tour for that album. Um, users will download, purchase your, al- your album and listen to it, um, or they might not. You know, They might just go to the concert. They might listen to it every now and then on Spotify. Um, the stickiness of, of, the, of such a product like that is limited to just when the user wants to consume your music. That's it. Red Hot Chili Peppers don't have any other engagement with their fans otherwise. I mean, maybe they do. I'm just using them as an example. So, like, how do you as a brand, and I think I'm going to bring this back to, like, Wendy's and to Morning Brew, some of these brands who have been super successful on Twitter, where they've, they you know, their product is Wendy's. It's burgers, fries, soda. If a fan or if a person doesn't want burgers, fries, and soda, they're not going to purchase your product. But Wendy's has been able to create this brand where I want to stick around for for the Wendy's Twitter. You know, the other the other six days a week when I don't go get a burger and fries, I follow them on Twitter and I want to engage with their brand. And that's eyeballs. That's more more sponsorship dollars. So I think this idea of stickiness, where it's like, can you create some some supplemental part of your business that forces users to continue interacting with your brand when you're not selling or creating whatever the product is that you create? I think that's yeah. interesting. That's super important. I think that that is very important, and I think uh, it, it maybe not every artist can relate to this, right? And not every creator, because some like if you are a band, probably you you only want to talk with and through your music. And if you are the type of band that only releases an album every five years, then maybe you want to do this. Maybe some people would argue, ah, oh, you cannot do this successfully nowadays. You need to be in constant touch. Other people would say otherwise. So so that's uh, probably there's not a one size fits all answer. But but definitely it's a question to to think about. And yeah. social tokens, creator tokens can be really helpful in this respect. But but also something that is really cool about Web3 is that as an act who is scarce, you can still build a, a more lasting relationships easily. So something that you that you can do, for instance, if you if you know wallet addresses of your users, for instance, because they once received a, a token from you, you can send them another token at another point in time, maybe on the date of your of your new song or album release and trigger them this way. Now, of course, reactivation. If you em- yeah, reactivation. So even yeah. if you have email addresses, um, then of course you can send them a newsletter 
but maybe you end up in the spam folder. But those users yeah. who do have wallets, they, they might use their wallets to various ends and check them out. And so that is a really neat little Web3 yeah. specific thing that you that you can do in this world. I don't know, Jonas, anything to add to this? Not really, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think I think you under underestimate or not under, but um, I think it's even more valuable than you say, Thomas. I think it, just to think about buyer psychology in general, like if you reach out to a user, let's say a past customer, and you reach out to them with uh, an offer, right? So like, hey, why don't you come buy some more of my shawarmas or my my kebabs, whatever <laughs> I'm selling? So the buyer psychology, the the user's instinct is to be like. You know, I'm not really in the mood for a kebab. I don't really want one of those right now or a shawarma or whatever. But what if you reach out to the user and you say, hey, I have some free tokens for you or an NFT, you know, and with that NFT, you get, you know, a 30% discount on a shawarma or something. There's a very special thing that happens in the user's brain when that happens. You're, you're essentially like mind fucking them because I don't have a better term for it. You're kind of like tricking them into thinking that that they're getting something for it's not really a trick. You are giving them something that hopefully has value, especially if you attach utility and value to those assets, you know, that go that extends beyond just, hey, here's a discount. So it I wasn't think it one like, of you who recently posted in our Slack this this Starbuck NFT thing. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. So tell the story. It's a good example. Yeah. So Starbucks recently like released these free NFTs. Um, and with the NFTs, you know, they attach some utility to them. And since then, these NFTs have now gone up to, to be like a thousand five hundred dollars per NFT, even though they started as free giveaways as like a, like, like an airdrop type thing. And so that's like an example where like it was utility driven value where, um, they did this as kind of just a way to like dip their toes into web three and to kind of do something fun for their fans. And, you know, through that, through, through doing it in an honest and direct way, the, the, you know, intrinsic value was then added to these, to these digital assets. So I think that's like somebody doing it super right. Yeah. Especially yeah, if you consider, especially up. if you consider the cost that it incurs on Starbucks to hand out a free, uh, a bunch of free coffees. Uh, that's like literally yeah. nothing, um, but they get a marketing story out of it. They get happy users that claim one of these. Uh, that might even make a profit selling it later on. That certainly wasn't planned beforehand, um, but still, like something, something very little, a little expense to you can mean quite a lot to a given user. Yeah, and and if you're like a, a much more advanced brand and you have your like average user value, you know, drilled down, and you know your advertising costs, your cost, you know, your acquisition costs for users. If the math makes sense, then why not give away, you know, 10 free coffees if you know that the lifetime value of that user far exceeds that? So, yeah, that's just to just to further drive home that point. Yeah. So so I guess the 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 in a nutshell answer to this unnamed question question guy is yeah, probably it's going to turn out differently than expected. I would not say they are they are dead, but also yeah, NFTs are quite important nowadays, as the Starbucks case yeah. shows. So, so there is a third and I guess last question for today, and I will read it because 
Ron, I couldn't imagine anybody better to answer this question, to be honest. Here is Mike writing, I love fantasy football and I'd like to become an analyst, but it seems to me that every fantasy football creator makes the same content. Should I try and do something different or talk about the same and often super popular topics and questions everybody else is talking about? And if the latter, how do I get an audience? Yeah. So, so what's your take? So, so I think like the, the overall recommendation that I have, and I'll break it down, is niche finding, right? So if you're creating... Hey, for, yeah. first you should mention that you love fantasy football and so you you, ah. you are well-versed to talk about this topic, no? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a huge fantasy football fan. Um, I, I play it religiously. We do like a live draft for me and my buddies meet up and we do like a, a, a drinking event and we do a live draft. So I'm crazy about fantasy football. Um, I also, you know kind of dipped my toes or dabbled a little bit in the creation side of fantasy football, you know, tweeting about fantasy, started a YouTube channel. So I've kind of like went through those trials and tribulations. Um, so I kind of understand, you know, that, that part of it. And I understand the, 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 the struggle of trying to create in a potentially saturated market, which, you know, especially if you're like on Twitter, a lot of these markets are already full. Um, and I think like the, the, the core takeaway or the core strategy that I would recommend is kind of like niche finding And I have a couple of examples actually within fantasy that, that echo this, this sentiment. But first, let me just define niche finding. So a niche is essentially like a category within a category, or it could be as broad or as narrow as you choose, right? So for example, finance niche, within the finance niche, you have like um, stock investing, right? You have dividend investing, which would go even further down. You have like long-term 30-year dividend investing, which would be even further down that small rabbit hole. So it's essentially like finding a category that you can reside in where it's not as saturated. And that'll give you the opportunity to kind of build out your own brand within that small little niche. So in fantasy football, one guy I can think of, I believe his name is Matt Harmon. Um, he created this, I think he was like an analyst for like a, a top sports entity already so it's not like he he started from zero but from that he branched off and he started this um he started this this i, I don't know if i would call it like a company but he started this 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 thing where he called it reception perception and essentially he is like the leader or the 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 number one guy that researches and talks about wide receivers and the stats behind wide receivers specifically. So he's a, he has a very specific niche within fantasy football. He became known as like the wide receiver whisperer, right? So anytime anyone know anyone needs information on wide receiver cornerback matchups and stuff like that, they know to go to him. And yeah. that's just a, like an example of niche finding. Like he he became that guy. And you'll see it all over Twitter now. If you go to Twitter, you'll see guys with like the email marketing whisperer or something and and that's mm -hmm. essentially an, an attempt at somebody trying to establish themselves as like the leader in a particular niche. Yeah. And I mean, if I think fantasy football, right, it could be by position. You you could have it yeah. by team. You could maybe have it by, by conference. I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but uh, there, there, there are different ways how to, how to niche that definitely. I mean, Bill Simmons, right? Thomas, wasn't he kind of like a Boston? He started as like a Boston beat writer. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. is like definitely part of his shtick. Even though he then quickly branched out to to national uh, coverage, but uh, always with one foot in the Boston sports scene, um, that's for sure. And I think there's so, so 
that is certainly one very good hint, like find your niche and then in there. But then he also asks like, do you, sh should I talk about the same stuff everybody, everybody else is talking about, which are the popular topics, or should I, should I go more niche? And I think of course there is something to talking about the topics everybody is talking about in various ways. So you could approach this with an SEO mindset and think, so look, if everybody's talking about this, many people are Googling about this, even though I will not maybe be on the first five or six positions, I can still get search traffic uh, to my, to my site by, um, by just um, getting people to find this article because people are looking for it. And another angle that you could, that, that you could take is, Hey, I will, talk about the topics, but I will reference other creators and make, I will push back against their opinion, or I will do something that provokes their attention. So, so ideally I get into a dialogue and a discussion with them. And that is something with that, that in the end helps you to, to find followers among their followers who have already shown an interest in the topic. And of course you can combine this approach of talking about these topics with the approach that you advocated to find your niche. Like you, you could take a very specific angle on a big debate uh, uh, from the position where, where you are trusted with your, with your expertise. Yeah, and I think to go a slightly higher level, um, you can do that in a couple of ways, right? So to leverage somebody else's audience is like a great growth hack for like an early uh, creator. But... You can do that in, in a couple of ways, right? So like that's where at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned tone and I've, I've referenced Wendy's, I've referenced Morning Brew. Um, the tone and the delivery and the type of content you deliver matters, right? So you can either entertain, you can inform, you can educate. These are all different strategies and you can essentially tell, like, tell yourself from the beginning, like, do I want to be somebody who people come to for like hard data and hard advice on fantasy football? Or do I want to be like a pundit? Do I want to be somebody, a Skip Bayless type who, you know, burns his Cowboys jerseys once a year? And don't forget, like, these are not mutually exclusive. Uh, it can be very yeah. informative and still be very entertaining at times. Like the Matt yeah. Levine Money Stuff uh, newsletter is a good example of this where uh, he's writing about financial news, which in and of itself is a rather dry and boring topic. But there's a few sentences in between each newsletter that make you spit out your coffee once in a while. Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the that's the golden ticket. If you can somehow balance those two things, winner winner chicken dinner. Yeah, that's for sure. Yep. That's for sure. So I think we answered Mike's question. Probably yeah. makes for a good first I guess episode. For today. Huh? Almost an hour. I think so. Yeah, I mean it's learning process. You know, this is new for us, so we're going to try to streamline. We're going to try to package things better as we move forward, but. I think like a free flowing uh, concept, I think works, you know, being able to spitball and throw stuff around to each other and see how we can help you with some of our experience and our expertise. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And um, like the, like the podcast, if you guys did enjoy it, uh, you can find it on all your, you know, your everywhere that you listen to podcasts, it's also going to be uploaded to YouTube so you can watch it in video form. And um, yeah, thanks for joining me guys. And we'll catch you guys next week.